Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And we are so excited that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you are here with us as well. I want us to start off this morning by giving a special shout-out to Pastor Greg and Pastor Josh and Pastor Tim. They are in Zurich, Switzerland this weekend, where later this... Uh, that gets a round of applause. I haven't told you what they're doing yet. You're like, ah, oh, Switzerland. That's awesome. <laughs> it's not a vacation. <laughs> Later this year, Pastor Tim's going to be planning a church in Switzerland. So they're having a series of, of vision meetings and building the core team. So just really excited about the vision that they had there. So, man, what better way than to let them know they've got 15,000 some odd prayer partners there with them this weekend. So let's give them a hand and y'all keep them in your prayers as they're away this weekend. Go Switzerland. I didn't realize that would build so much excitement. Well, hey, how many of you ladies had the opportunity to come to the Chosen Women's Conference past couple days? Handful of ladies. Man, I was privileged to be there. It was incredible. God did a, a mighty work. I was confused. Honestly, I've never felt so called to be a woman of God. I didn't know how to process that. Uh, but man, it was an incredible conference. God did a mighty, mighty work. Well, one of, the, one of the blessings of that conference and one of the blessings that we have as a church is that oftentimes we get to share our stage with some of Pastor Greg's friends. And today's speaker is no new voice or face to this stage. Uh, to tell you a little bit about her, she is the mother of two, wife to a man of God named Nick. She's been a pastor at Hillsong Church for 20 years now. She's the founder of the A21 campaign whose vision is to abolish human trafficking in the 21st century. And this is the part of the introduction where I need a little crowd participation both here and at each of our campuses. If you could give me a little drum roll. Ladies and gentlemen, the wonder, the thunder from down under, Christine Kane. Give her a hand. All right. (laughs) You're awesome, mate. How you doing, church? Are you well? I am so on fire. I feel like I might just propel through the roof. So I'm here with the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet Earth. And um, my husband, Nick's here. Do you want to stand up and say hi to everyone, Nick? And um, for everyone online, I'm so sorry you didn't get to see him. He's pretty hot. And we've been married for 18 years. I love uh, that we're here on all of our locations. I'm so ready to preach the word today. Are you ready to receive God's word? I want you to turn with me today to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. You all Americans go, Mark. And we say Mark. Everyone say Mark. <laughs> say Mark. So we say awesome. Say it like an Australian. You sound so dignified. One one more time. Okay, now say it like an American. I'm just leaving it out there. Today's a very significant day um, here in your nation of the United States of America because, um, you know, I don't quite know what to call the little sporting event that's on because in Australia, uh, we call football something that men play without uh, helmets or pads. And so I'm trying to work out, it's very quiet in here right now. And um, uh, I just need to know though, do I have more, do I have Seahawks supporters in the room? Okay, that's more over there. Is there any Bronco supporters in the room? Okay, you're a very courageous supporter over there. That's, that's fantastic. But our men in Australia still don't wear helmets or pads. Anyway, I'm in Mark chapter 6. And there's no more, uh, you know, Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, nor Seahawk nor Bronco 
um, for the next hour, okay, in Christ Jesus. After that, go for your lives. But right now, we're coming around the unity of the Word of God. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Y'all, they are not from Charleston because you all find a chance to eat. I've discovered anywhere there is butter, anywhere there is cream, anywhere there is sugar, here you all are. It's been amazing. I came in here weighing one thing. I'm going out weighing another. There is excess baggage on my flight. But anyway, and so Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus obviously had just finished reading a book on balanced living and was saying, now we're going to have some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I just need you to get this, grasp this for a moment. Jesus was talking to his disciples. Now the Bible says that people were kind of seeing him go. He was going across by boat. They ran and got there ahead of him by foot. And they meaning, later on I'll keep reading the text, but it tells us in verse 44, the number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000. So they counted in this time in history, they counted the men. So the adult males that had gotten there before Jesus were 5,000 men. Theologians and historians say if you include women and children, which I really love to do, I am a woman, I was a child. But so if you include them all, you get to about 15,000 people. And so I need you to just grasp this. Jesus is talking to 12. He says, we're going to go across to the other side and have a break. Suddenly he gets there. And there's 15,000 people there before he gets there. Now, I need you to understand this is before Twitter. This is before Facebook. This is before Instagram. This is before Pinterest for all you scrapbookers. This is before CNN or Fox News. This is before cell phones. Church, there was a time when it was enough that Jesus was going to be there. You know, there was a time people didn't come during the second worship song because, see, a lot of people think we do worship to wait for all the late people to come to church in case you realize that's not why we do it. But anyway, there was a time when you didn't need the next great worship leader or the next great preacher to be in town. There was a time when Jesus was enough, when we knew that the bread of life himself was going to be in the place that 15,000 would get there before he got there because they didn't want to miss a word that was going to come out of his mouth. Imagine. What would happen in this nation if Jesus is just enough? So the scripture tells us that he gets to the other side. When Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Never, ever underestimate the value of teaching the word of God. A lot of people would love this word silence, this word diluted. They'd love to fill church with a whole lot of other stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the centrality of Christ and his word that we all bow down to. And the best way that we can help people ultimately is to teach them God's word. So Jesus began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And Jesus is probably thinking, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. But anyway, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. They obviously had an incredible ability to state the obvious, these disciples. They were just very bright men. And so it says, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away 
so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat before the Jerusalem food court closes at the mall and before they run out of hummus and pita bread. Now, that is in the original Greek. If you go and study it, it's there in the text. And so the disciples are going, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. And we already know, because there's nothing incidental, everything's written in the scriptures, divinely inspired when, when Mark was writing this down, it wasn't incidental that he wrote they did not even have a chance to eat. So now we know it's already late into the day, scripture says, so the disciples are really hungry. And so the disciples are really, really hungry, so they do what a lot of people do when they want to get their own way. They go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, the people are hungry, so we like to blame you when we want to get our own way. So they were blaming the people and said, you better go give them something to eat. Tell them to go and buy something in all the surrounding countryside and villages before all the fast food places and the, you know, the McDonald's and, and the shrimp and grits and all. I wonder if they ate that then. No, probably not. And so the point is that I need you to go and um, let them go. You got to stop teaching. You know, you, you keep talking, Jesus, we don't even really understand half the stuff you're talking about. And you really just can talk for a really long time. And so can we just call it quits? Been a really long day. So this is what scripture says. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because often we'll pray and Jesus answers us and he goes, oh, you are the answer to your own prayer. You don't really realize that, but you do something about it. But God, there's people that are hungry. Why don't you do something about it? But Lord, you know, this uh, neighbor needs X, Y, Z. Why don't you do something about it? But you know, this needs to happen. Why don't you do something about it? We're like, what? Um, Surely you don't get this, Jesus. Surely you don't realize I've come to you because I don't think I can do anything about it. In fact, the disciples answered like this. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So they go, we can't do this, Jesus. It's impossible. Eight months of a man's wages. But Jesus, you better send them because the food court's going to close down. But Jesus, we don't have that kind of supply. But Jesus, our mothers did not pack a spare lunch for 15,000 people today. You know, it just didn't happen because that's what we do. Jesus says, I want you to do something. And we turn around and we say, but I can't. Now, Jesus never asked us if we could. He simply gave us an instruction to do something. I do that with my children. Catherine, go and clean your room. But mommy, I can't because I'm like, I never asked you if you could. This was not a discussion about your ability. This was a directive. Go and clean your room. Now, Jesus often does that. I'm giving you a directive and we think he's asking us for a dialogue. And so I remember when we started the A21 campaign and I had this sense and this prompting that the Lord wanted me to start it. And I'm like, but God, I can't. But God, I'm 40 years old. But God, I've just given birth to my second child. But God, I don't have an extra 10 million bucks to go and fight human trafficking and drug traffickers. But God, I don't know anything about trafficking. I, you know, I've got a degree in economic history and English, so I can basically read golden books and count to 10. And, you know, but God, I, I um, basically just, you know, don't, I live in Sydney, Lord, that's very far from Thessaloniki. But in, at the time, Greece was on the verge of economic collapse. Since then, we've, you know, single-handedly bankrupted the earth. You're welcome. And so, um, you know, and, and Wall Street was right on the verge of economic collapse. And uh, Mr. Dow Jones was having a schizophrenic attack. He was up and down every day, several times a day. So, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. And so I'm like, but God, you know, the, the economy's in a mess. Why would you send us 
to the poorest nations in the European Union, to Greece and Bulgaria. That, that just does not make sense. But God, I don't really have, and, but God, and, and it's, we question the sovereignty of God all the time because we just go, but God, but God, but God. I can imagine God in heaven. Oh my God, no, I am God, all three of me. I'm having an existential crisis. What am I going to do? I had no idea what was happening on Wall Street. I did not know that the Greek economy, and anyone know where Greece is relative to Australia? Peter, can you bring me a GPS, a map? You know, I'm really good on my geography when it gets to Mars, but just not good on Earth at the moment. So I'm um, not sure how this is going. Oh no, she's 40 and just had her second child. Did we miss that? Did we have a baby shower in heaven? Anyone know? Because that's how we're kind of treated. But God, it's not convenient. But God, I'm not able. But God, it sounds so pious and so holy. And what we're actually saying is my limitations are greater than God's supernatural ability to do something awesome through my life. And you know what we need, essentially, in the body of Christ? What we need, church, is a very serious batectomy. Some of you will get it over lunch or during the Super Bowl today. But, you know, it's like... (laughs) We need a buttectomy. We need to get our big fat butts out of God's way. Because what we do is we say, but I can't, but I can't, but I can't. And we give him all the list of our limitations. And he says, I'm not asking you what you can't do. I already know that. I'm just asking you what you can do. Jesus ignored the disciples because look at the very next sentence. He turns around to them and he says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. How many loaves do you have? You need a miracle in your marriage. What what kind words do you have? What hope can you speak into your children that seem to be going down the wrong track? Are you tithing if you need a financial miracle? What what do you have? What do you have? Because Jesus understood this and he wants us to understand that the ingredients for a miracle are always in our midst. But Jesus cannot multiply what we do not recognize. So he says, I need you to go and see what you've got. That kind word, that ability to go to the extra mile. We're launching a next campaign or we've launched it. What what, what do you have? But we all look at what we don't have. And he says, I'm not asking what you don't have. I know what you don't have. But I'm asking, what do you have? Because I need to work with something. And I need the ingredients for a miracle. I need the seed. Now, the seed never looks like much. We all want the harvest, but without sowing the seed. You've never seen anyone open a packet of seeds and go, whoo, I love those seeds. Man, they look awesome. And we devalue the seed without realizing that within the seed lies the potential for the harvest. But we don't see the potential actualized or realized because we never sow it. This happens every week during the offering. When the Lord says, bring your tithe into the storehouse, we don't even get into the offering mode because we don't even bring our tithe. And then we wonder why we're not seeing any kind of breakthrough. But we think this is what happens in our head. We think, you know what, I've only got like, I only got 50 bucks this week. I've only got five bucks. That's really, what difference is that going to make? I mean, we've got to build new buildings. We're going to have new campuses. We're launching a church in Zurich. We're going to launch a church in Denver. We've got so much that we're launching through our next campaign. It's all the next phase of the vision. But I've only got five bucks. It's a bit of a joke. How is that going to help anything? So the buffering bucket goes past or we have the opportunity to sow it and we just leave it in our pocket because we're kind of embarrassed. It's a buck, it's five bucks, it's 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever. We're kind of embarrassed. We think, God, if it was more, I would give it. And the Lord says, I never asked you for the more that you don't have. I'm just asking you for what you do have. I never ask you for what you don't have. But, but Lord, it's only $5, but that's right. 
In that $5 lies much potential, but you'll never see that potential realized because I won't be able to supply and multiply that if you don't sow that. So the only way that the five will become 10, will become 50, will become 100 is if you actually sow that so that I can multiply what you've sown. If you don't and you leave it in your pocket, it's, this, it's exactly the same as having an abortion because you are aborting the seed in that potential, I mean, the potential in that seed. You're not allowing it to come forth and it just stays dormant in your pocket because you haven't sowed the seed. The enemy wants to do everything he can that, so that we won't sow seeds, so that that potential that lies in the seed is never realized and never actualized. So Jesus says, I need you to go and see what you have. Scripture then tells us that he goes on. And he says, when they found out, they said five and two fish. Can you imagine? They're walking through a crowd. They're saying, who's got some lunch? Anyone got some Ezekiel bread? Did anybody's mother pack some anchovies? Look, we're not having much of a response, okay? If there's not enough Ezekiel, look, we'll take white bread. I know the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. But, you know, we'll take some. We'll take some. We're desperate. We're desperate for some bread. And um, they come back with five loaves and two fish. Do you think that's all the lunch that there was in the crowd that day? Do you think in 15,000 people that's all the lunch there was? Well, of course not. I guarantee you there was a whole lot more lunch than that. But what happened is people get overwhelmed with the enormity of the need. And people think, I can't do everything. And often when we think we can't do everything, we get paralyzed, crippled, immobilized, and we do nothing. And Jesus goes, I never asked you to do everything. I just asked you to do one thing, and that would activate something. And some of us, we look at what's ahead in our next campaign, and we think, I can't do it all. And Jesus says, I never asked you to do it all. I just asked, what do you have? What do you have? I'm just asking you to do one thing. God, I can't rescue 30 million slaves. Chris, I never asked you to rescue 30 million slaves. I asked you, what do you have? Well, I've got a global platform. I talk to the church. I've got a mouth. Awesome. I know you don't have the right education. I know you don't have any connections. I know that you've never uh, put a trafficker in jail. I know that you've never put any girls through aftercare programs. I know that you don't know anyone um, in law enforcement. But what do you have, Chris? I've got a mouth, God. Awesome. Give me that. It's amazing, Chris, if you give me your mouth six years ago. It's amazing that in six years or in, in, operationally in only five years that you can have 12 officers in 10 countries, the highest awards from the State Department, the Europe, European Union, dozens of traffickers in jail, hundreds of girls rescued, millions educated through prevention and awareness, hundreds of thousands of students educated about the horrors of human trafficking in 12 countries across the world. Chris, what did you have? A mouth. I just needed a mouth. That's all. I just needed a mouth. And so, one little boy, one little boy. Did you note the text said, I read it to you, number, verse 44, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. The number of men. They counted in those days adult males. So did you see who was the one that gave the ingredients for the miracle? It was the boy that was uncounted, 
that provided the ingredients for the miracle that counted. And the thing that I've discovered is God tends to use the ones that everyone else discounts. The ones that think they're not qualified enough, they're not talented enough, they're not connected enough, they're not resourced enough, they're not eloquent enough, they're not gifted enough. The ones that somehow think I'm not enough, God says awesome because I'm the God of more than enough. So I'll take the ones that are discounted. I'll take the ones that everyone else says you'll never amount to anything. I wish you were never born. You're the wrong this. You're the wrong that. You'll never be able to do this. God says fantastic because I'll take the ones that everyone else doesn't count because I'll get myself some glory through that life. That's what I'm going to do. So he takes the one that doesn't count. God takes a chick from Sydney, Australia that was left abandoned in a hospital. Its birth certificate says unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. Sexually abused for 12 years, grown up in the poorest zip code of my state, the third poorest zip code in Australia. And the Lord says, I might just take that girl, unnamed and unwanted. Because you know what? Everyone else has given up on her. Her mother gave up on her. Her family, there was just no hope. Most girls with my kind of background don't end up doing what I'm doing. They end up either drug dependent or alcohol dependent or maybe two or three different kids to two or three different fathers. Confused about their gender identity. That's what normally happens to young women with my kind of horrific abuse, left abandoned in a hospital, rejected, adopted out. That's what happens to kids like me. But I am living proof that you can start bad and finish good in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am living proof that Jesus Christ is alive. I am living proof that he takes the ones that everyone else discounts. And not only did he rescue me, but now he's using me to rescue others. That's what he does. He says, Christine, Romans 8, 28. You know what? What happened to you was not good, but I am able to work together for good. All things, all things, Christine. What happened wasn't great. And you know what? I wish it didn't happen to you, but it did. But Christine, if you take that and you put it into the hands of a redeeming God, he can take the very things that the enemy meant for evil and he can work them together into a tapestry of grace and redemption and he can work it together for good. Everyone else discounted me. The devil even thought that I was out for the count. From the time I was in my mother's womb, he tried to steal, kill and destroy my life. When that didn't work, he sent someone into my bedroom. The word abuse means to use an object for a purpose for which it was never designed. And for 12 years I was used for a purpose for which God never designed me. The devil thought he won. The devil thought he took me out. He tried to steal, kill and destroy my life. But Jesus Christ he came from heaven to earth. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. He rose again from the dead so that I could have not only forgiveness for my past but a brand new life and a hope for the future. And every time a trafficker goes to jail every time a girl is uh, rescued, I bet you that the devil wishes that he left me alone. I bet you that he wishes that he never, ever touched me, ever. And I'm telling you, church, I feel like Joseph now in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, who turned around to his brothers and he said, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose, to save many people alive. And what the devil tried to do was steal, kill and destroy my life, but God turned it around, rescued me, uses me to rescue others. And some of you, you have been broken down, the enemies come at you and you've been discounted. Some teachers said, you're dumb, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. Some parents 
and said, I wish you were never born. Perhaps you've made so many mistakes where you feel like you have messed up so bad. God can't use you and the devil has come at you physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, financially. And you think you are too broken and too busted up for God to be able to use you and you sit here today. Or you're listening to me online and you think, you know what, how could God do anything, Christine? I'm barely hanging on. I just feel like the devil has bombarded me and that ended up in divorce and that ended up here and that ended up broken. But I'm here to tell you, you're still here. You're still watching. You're still listening. You're still sitting. If you woke up this morning and there was not a white chalk mark around your body, it does mean you're still alive. And let me tell you something, that the devil might have come at you, but the devil on his best day didn't take you out on your worst day. You are still here. You're still alive. There's still hope. There's still a future. There's still a future. And so... They bring back to Jesus a little boy's lunch, (laughs) five loaves and two fish. Isn't this amazing? I could imagine, especially Peter. He would have been, see Jesus, if you had to just listen to me, the mall was still open, the food court was still open, but now they've shut down. They've taken their little hummus and gone home with their pit of bread and there is no more stores open. And now look what we got for the people. Five loaves and two fish, Jesus. And I could imagine Jesus looking at him thinking, oh, oh, so you think now I'm disqualified from being God because there's not enough. Oh, you think because it's impossible and you can't do it that I can't do it. Well, last I checked, Peter, I'm infinite, you're finite, which means you're peon, I'm God. And um, that would just translate that way. And so, you know, you are limited by time and space constraints and natural laws and science and physics, but I'm God. I woke up one day, burped, went, earth, oops, look what I did. That's just what I do, I'm God. That's the God sort of stuff that one does when one is God. And so, he goes, you think I can't do this? Because it's impossible. Well, church, impossible is where God starts. Miracles are what God does. You see, while you're able to do it, you don't need God. While you can manage it and it fits into your strategic plan and you're resourced enough and you're talented enough and you're connected enough, why do you need God? You don't need God. So when it becomes impossible... Then God says, oh, that's when I show up. I actually made you go into the crowd because I wanted you to see how much you could do in your own strength. Knock yourself out. Couldn't do much, could you? Couldn't even get any white bread. Five little bits of Ezekiel, a couple of anchovies. Knock yourself out. Gee, you're great. I need you to remember that that's about all the capacity you've got because I'm about to do a miracle that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. So I don't want you to think you actually had anything to do with it. I want you to see what you could do in your own strength. Not much. See, I knew that. It's not that I'm sitting here going, oh, no, what am I going to do? There's only five loaves and two fish. I'm the omniscient, omniscient God. I had no idea. You know, Peter, this is a real issue because not only do I know what you've brought me, I know how much is still out there. God thinks that with the offering every week. It's not only you go, oh no, this is what we brought. He goes, oh, I know how much is still out there that you never gave that you should have. But anyway, that's another sermon for the next time that I come. But right now he's going, whoa, whoa. You think I can't do anything. I don't even turn up. See, some of us, we're praying for miracles, but what we don't need is a miracle. What we need is to manage our lives better. Some people go, Chris, oh, I need a healing miracle. No, sweetheart, you just need to stop eating the Krispy Kremes and get on the treadmill. Okay, that's it. And so um, some of us think, you know, I need a financial miracle. No, darling, you just need to stop spending more than you earn. It's very simple, but I'll stop meddling now and get back to preaching. And so the point is, 
Now, some of the things we think are miracle issues are actually just management issues, and God can't even turn up and do a miracle until we manage what we have well. So why don't we start managing what we have to the best of our capacity so then we can believe God for the miracle. But when it's impossible, don't think God can't do it because God doesn't even turn up until it's impossible, and miracles are what God does. It's just the currency of heaven. It's what the Lord does. Who needs a God created in our own image anyway? You know, so much of the world and the rational scientific world likes to make us seem like we're idiots because we believe in a supernatural God. I mean, they all seem to think it's okay to believe that in the eternal nothing of the nothing, two nothings came together and went bang, there it was, your great-grandfather, the cockroach. The cockroach just crawled around planet Earth for a while. It had a genetic mutation, went bang, there it was, the frog. The frog hopped around planet Earth for a while, it had a genetic mutation, and there it was, the ape, your grandfather. And the, grand, and the ape went to the hairdresser on a very hot Charleston day, um, you know, had a cut, shave, and blow dry, and here we are today. And so essentially... <laughs> You have to be highly educated to believe that. You have to have a lot of academic degrees and a lot of letters after your name to believe that. But apparently we're stupid to believe that there was order and there was creation. There was a God that brought order out of chaos and a God that has uh, filled us with his spirit and given us purpose and destiny. And then we want to create that God in our own image and say, you can just do what I say. You can do according to my um, finances and my plans and my strength. And God goes, really? Why don't you believe me to do the miraculous? It's what I've done from the beginning of time. You don't need a God created in your own image. You need a supernatural God that can empower you from on high to do supernatural things in the day and the age in which we live. Oh no, they can call me crazy, but I want a God that is supernatural. I want a supernatural God. That's what I want. And so they bring him five loaves and two fish. And what does the Bible say that Jesus does? The Bible says that he gives thanks. He gives thanks. Look what scripture tells us right here. It's in the Bible, so it's got to be true. I'm not making it up. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. taking. The, uh, I'm so running out of time, but I haven't said this. I'm going to say it to you. He, so Jesus directed them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Did you see that? Have you ever wondered why? Do you know how long it would take Jesus and the disciples to sit, make them sit down in groups? 15,000 people in groups of fifties and hundreds? I mean... This is Jesus. Can you imagine when he's about to feed them? He could just be like so awesome. Now, I was a youth leader for 15 years. So can you imagine how incredible it would be that I would take the fish and I'd go, person number 13,263, open your mouth. And I would just be the best baseball arm, peg it into his mouth. It would be so awesome. And um, I'd love that if I was God. I would just like go, boom, you know, like that, even just flick it. I wonder how much effort it would take to get out there. But anyway, that's like my brain. And so I'm thinking, this is God. He could have done that. He could have just fed them where they were. It's God. Here comes a fish. Boom, open your mouth like the clown. Open, I bet you I can get it in. Anyway, so the point is he could have done that. But he said, no, I want you to get them to sit in groups. And the Bible says that they, you know how long it would take to get people to sit in groups? Look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven. You do look so in love. Twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two. Nice scarf. Thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. One, two, three, four. It would take quite a while, but still, Jesus said, "I want you to put them in groups." And I'm going to distribute the miracle through my disciples. So the point here is that 
Before Jesus is getting ready to do any miracle, he puts an infrastructure in place to facilitate what he's about to do. He says, I'm, I'm about to do a miracle, so we need to make some space. So we're going to go into multiple services, and we're going to have different campuses, and we're going to launch a building here. And, we're going to, and this is the order and the structure and the systems, and this is how we're going to do our women, and this is how we're going to do our youth, and we're going to put it all in order so I can pour out the miracle I'm ready to do. And then we go, but, but what about what I want? What about my ministry? What about this need? And, and, and he's saying, yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. But it's going to happen down the track. At the moment, this is the order we're going to do it all in. And we just think, no, I don't want to go into that small group. I, I don't want my fish from Bartholomew. I don't want Peter to hand out the fish to me. I mean, he's got a really bad attitude problem and, and I'm better than him anyway. I'm smarter than him. I should be leading him. I don't want to be submitted into that group. So you know what? I want my fish straight from Jesus. And if I don't get my fish straight from Jesus, I'm going to go down the road and start my own fish straight from Jesus. Ministries 501c3 tax deductions accepted. Thank you. Only in America. And I'm going to do that. And Jesus is like, knock yourself out. I don't know what fish and loaves you're eating, but it's not the ones that I'm handing out because I have order, I have systems, I have structure. And I'm going to pour it out. And you will be so blessed from that and that will continue to multiply and it will continue to reproduce. And we've got a whole lot of people that have gotten out of order running around doing their own thing. And it's not nourishing anyone because it's not, the source is not from heaven. And Jesus is saying order, systems, structure, timing. It's a biblical precedent from Genesis to Revelation. And it's how he pours out his blessing. So the scripture says that he got them to sit down in groups on green grass and then he blessed it. Scripture tells us right here. Then he, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. Jesus blessed church what was never going to be enough. What do you do with your not enough? Because it's amazing how much we curse what we don't like and then we expect God to bless what we curse. I can't stand my job. I can't stand my car. I can't stand where I'm in this season. I can't stand where my kids are up to. I, can't, I wish this didn't happen. This isn't fair. And, this, and we murmur, grumble, and complain. And so could you imagine how our year would change if we began to bless instead of curse our not enough? If we began to say, you know what, this might not be the house I ultimately want to end up in, but I thank God right now that I've got a place to live. You know what, this might not be the job I ultimately want, but I thank God right now we've got some food on the table. My kids may not be serving the Lord right now, but I thank God the hound of heaven is out there chasing them and he's going to bring them back to the purposes of God. My marriage may not be where I want it to be, but thank God that we're still in this and we're still fighting. You know what, my physical body might not be working like I want it to, but I thank God that the fact that I did not wake up in a sealed bag in a very cold room means that we're still fighting and there's still hope. Imagine if we began to bless and not curse our not enough. It would change our whole day and our whole life. It really would. Just imagine. Scripture says not only did he bless it, but then he broke it. You know that stuff that we try to hide? I don't know if anyone besides me in this room has ever come from anything broken. You ever come from a broken home? You ever had your heart broken? Have you ever had your body broken? Have you ever had your dreams broken? Have you ever had your finances broken? Has anyone ever had a relationship broken? Has anyone done some stuff that you wish you had never done? And it's all broken and you think it's disqualified you. You think your brokenness has disqualified you, but I'm living proof. That the very things that the enemy wanted to destroy my life with, the things that I thought would not enable me to do anything for God because my life was so broken, it's very much from those broken pieces that Jesus is feeding the multitudes. 
If you would put your brokenness into the hands of a redeeming God, there is nothing that you've done that is too big to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. The very thing the enemy wanted to destroy your life with in the hands of God can be turned around and used to the glory of God. There is not one piece of brokenness in this room. We try to hide it with our shame and our guilt and our condemnation and our fear and our insecurity. We play the religious game and the religious facade and we're dying on the inside. And Jesus says, would you just lift your scars up and let me bring healing and wholeness? What use would I be to a generation just kind of always hiding in shame and guilt everything that's done? The devil already took 12 years. I'm 47 now. I'm not giving him the 35 or the future years that I've got ahead of me. I'm not giving him any more. Imagine going there, you know, it's so bad and I was just broken and I was abused and I was violated and I was abandoned and it was so hard and it was so painful and now I'm a Christian and it's still really hard and painful. It's just really hard with Jesus. And if you too want to be depressed like me, you too can become a Christian. It's so awesome. (laughs) How much better to stand before a generation and go, you know what, I've got some scars Blood of Jesus does not give me amnesia. I was abandoned. I was adopted. I was abused. I was broken. I got some scars. But let me talk to you about the healer of my soul that brought healing, that brought redemption, that turned these scars around and used them as a trophy of the grace of God. How much more powerful to say to a generation the very thing the enemy wanted to destroy your life with, God could turn it around and use it for his glory and feed the multitudes. God can take it and turn it around if you would allow him to continue to use your brokenness, to use your past to give somebody else a future. Scripture says he broke it and then goes on and says they all ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Have you ever wondered why? Couldn't Jesus just stop? He was the master chef. He would have had no leftovers. He's omniscient. He would have known, stop breaking because they've all eaten. Not one crumb left over. But no, he kept breaking, kept breaking, kept breaking until there was exactly 12 basketfuls. 12 basketfuls is a sack that you put over your shoulder. 12 disciples, 12 basketfuls. He said, I need you all to go and pick up the broken pieces, the King James and the New King Jimmy says fragments and scraps. Have you ever wondered why? Why the breadcrumbs? Why the crusts? Why the fish heads? Couldn't he just do the miracle on the other side with fresh fish? I mean, this is Jesus. Put his hand down. Oh, fish. Here we go again. Party trick. You know, like it's God. He's quite good at this stuff. But no, he says, I want you to pick up the broken pieces, the the fragments. And I want you to put them in a bag. Because um, you're going to go to school now. We just had church on Sunday. I'm going to find out on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday whether you actually understood what happened on Sunday. Because you can be in the miracles of God. You can be partaking of the miracle. You can be distributing the miracle. And you can know the miracles of God, but you can still not know who the God of the miracles is. And Jesus is about to show them that they don't know who he is. You can be in this atmosphere for months, weeks, years. And you can know all about the works of God and not know the God of the works. So he says to them, I want you to pick up the evidence of the miracle that I've just done. And you know, you're about to find out why he told them to do that as I close.
He says to them, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. The reason he did this, he put them on a boat. He went on a mountainside to pray because this is the first mass miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels. Up until this point, the miracles have been individual. And now the ingredients of the miracle are in the stomachs of 15,000 people and they're about to go back to their villages and word is about to spread. And from this point forth in the Gospels, Jesus' ministry blows up. And I promise you, when your ministry is about to blow up, you're going to get on a mountain and pray. So Jesus goes on that mountain to pray. And the Bible says that when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Basically, that means they were freaking out. And about the fourth watch of the night, so that's about three o'clock in the morning, he decides to go out to them. He went out to them walking on the lake. I love that about Jesus. Jesus is on the mountain. He's looking at the disciples. They can't see him. There's so much darkness and and distance and, and danger between him and them. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You feel like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? Just a few hours before, you're on a mountain and he's doing all these miracles. And now it's Monday. And he's walked out and you just got that bad news phone call. And there's been a whole redundancy at the office. And suddenly you got news you weren't expecting. And it's, it's only Monday. It's only been 15 hours since you were praising and worshiping and declaring his greatness and applauding his miracles. And now it's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Jesus is the one that sent them into that storm. He's the omniscient God. Not all storms are from the devil. He knew he was sending them into a storm. So he's standing there and he's watching them. They're freaking out because of the circumstances. And Jesus, I'm sure, is wondering, I wish you just looked down in the boat because you've got your sack full of broken pieces. In the middle of the storm, you need to get your eyes off the storm and Look down at some of the things that I've done for you before because I got you to pick up the broken pieces yesterday because I wanted you to take evidence of the miracles that I just did then into the storm of tomorrow so that you can remember that the same God that was with you on the mountain and the same God that did the miracle on the mountain is the same God that's with you in the storm and the same God that got you through that is the same God that will get you through this is the same God that's going to get you to the other side. I wish my disciples would just look down some of those broken pieces but they're too busy looking at the circumstances thinking that he's forsaken them thinking that he's left them so Jesus thinks okay I'm going to go out to them because this is another perk of being God it's part of his godness that he could be right there in the middle of the storm with you while he's walking out to deliver you from the storm it's just what God does and so he decides that he's going to come out And the good thing about Jesus is when he's about to come and get you in your storm, he does not go to the boat shed and hire a boat. He just walks right on top of that stuff that you think is going to drown you. He just walks right over it and he comes to you. But look at what happens here. We are only hours away from the miracle that he had just done. They had taken the fish and loaves from his hand and they had given it to the people. And now we're at about three in the morning. And this is how short a time it takes for us to forget the goodness of God. How short a time it takes for us to forget what God has done for us. Because scripture tells us that he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. 
See, he came to them in a different form. They knew the Jesus of the loaves and fishes, but they didn't know the Jesus of the walking on water. Because what God does is he uses the storms of life to reveal a different aspect of his character to us. To us. And we can think the same Jesus that's coming to rescue us is a ghost coming to destroy us. Because he's coming in a form that we're not used to. None of them identified the very Savior that they were with a few hours before. Scripture tells us that when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You can be around the miracles of God. You can be around the things of God and have a hard heart, which means you have no eyes to understand who the God of the miracle is. And you know what? As we look around our world and there is more instability and uncertainty, and church, I need to tell you, it's not going to get better. If you've read the book of Revelation, it's not going to get better. What God wants is his church to grow up so that we learn how we need to be in this day and in this hour and how we are going to be light in the midst of darkness. And so if we're going to freak out every time there's a political change, if we're going to freak out every time there's an economic or a moral or a social change and think, oh no, it's all falling apart. No, it's not falling apart. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. We are not under threat. We are not under siege. Jesus has always been building his church and Jesus will continue to build his church. I don't know if Jesus has ever done anything for anyone in this room besides me. Has Jesus saved anyone? Has Jesus delivered anyone? Has Jesus healed anyone? Has Jesus come through for anyone? Has he done any miracles for you before? Has he provided for you financially? Has he provided for you relationally? Well, I'm here to tell you today that the same God that's brought you this far is the same God that will take you to the other side. See, some of us, we get good with now. We've just suddenly, we haven't been in faith for years. Oh, we look like we are, but we've actually put our confidence in our assets and our resources and our connections and our people and our own ability and our own standards. But when the devil comes at me, church, I don't talk to him about now. I don't go, oh, you know what, man, I'm Chris Kane. I speak around the world. I run one of the largest anti-trafficking organs. I don't talk about now because that could all change tomorrow. Governments change legislation. A21 has to go. People could stop inviting me to go and speak. That, that could all, No, that's not where my confidence is. I talk to him about back then. I go, no, 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 devil. Same God that was with this kid in the hospital that was left abandoned and was just a number on a birth certificate. That, that same God that was with me then is the same God that's with me today. The same God that somehow kept me alive through all of that abuse. That same God that was with me then, he's with me now. That same God that plucked me out of anonymity and obscurity when I was talking to youth groups in the back of country towns in Australia and suddenly just put me in the middle of, of, of the global church platform. That same God that did that then, he's with me now. I don't need a marketing campaign. I don't need to hold out business cards. Same God that was with me then is the same God that's with me now. The same God that was with me when we started at 21 and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have any connections and I had no awards and we had no traffickers in jail and we had no girls in restoration homes. The same God that was with me then is the same God that's with me now. The same God that's brought me this far is the same God that's going to take me to my destiny. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. It always was Christ alone. It always will be Christ alone. Whatever 
life, wherever you have been, it always was Jesus. He has started this work in you and he shall bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus in Jesus' name. It always was Jesus. Always. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Christ alone, our cornerstone. Always was Jesus, always will be Jesus. Father, forgive us that at any point we would ever think we really had anything to do with this. Lord, whatever your people are confronting today, whatever circumstances, challenges, storms, trials, Father, their trust would be on you, that we'd all look down, not at the storm, but at the broken pieces. (laughs) And that we would all know deep in our inner man that the same God that's brought us this far is the same God that's going to take us to our destiny. When we don't know how we're going to make it another day, the same God that has kept us alive this long is the same God that's going to take us and His grace is sufficient and His mercy is never ending. Lord God, let everyone under the sound of my voice on the other side of the screen, on the campuses in this room, let them know the tangible presence of God, that you're right there with them in the storm as you're coming to deliver them from the power of the storm. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much.